Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about menopause and mental health is Dr. Joy L. Ballard. Dr. Ballard is a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist who uplifts women daily in her office to assist them in taking a proactive approach to their health. She is very passionate about educating and empowering women to initiate and maintain a healthy lifestyle. She is a best-selling author of Loving Me, Myself, and Her Through Perimenopause and Beyond, which is a self-affirming guide that enlightens, encourages, and empowers women approaching the menopausal transition. Dr. Ballard is a speaker who aims to provide a platform for women in the community to become educated and invigorated about facing different aspects of their health. How are you doing today, Dr. Ballard? I am fine, Jason. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, well, no, no. Correction here, have you back. It's, it, we, just, I don't know if I told you this. So the podcast that we did uh, back in June, Perimenopause, The Journey to Menopause, has been our most downloaded podcast. So oh, really? We, Yep, we need to get people. We'll talk about the podcast at the very end. But that, uh, needless to say, uh, the information that you are providing has been uh, very worthwhile. So I'm looking forward to today. So let's get going. Your awesome. menopause, your your mental health during menopause. Yes, awesome, awesome. That is great to hear because definitely your mental health during menopause is so important because these are really the symptoms that women are really caught off guard by. They're really surprised by. My 55-year-old menopausal woman who has a very short temper or short fuse with her husband. My 45-year-old perimenopausal woman who have um, short fuses with their kids and they really feel bad about it, but they, they can't control it. They don't, they don't know what's going on. So they're really caught off guard about, you know, what they're doing as far as their mood and their tempers, and it's really out of character for them. So I'm really excited about talking about your mental health. So just a little definition, at objective-wise, we're going to talk about mental health changes that you experience in perimenopause and menopause to learn which mood disorders can worsen during perimenopause and menopause, learn the difference between brain fog and dementia, and we're going to learn about natural remedies or coping skills to improve your mental health. And we're going to also talk about eliminating the fear or the stigma of taking some antidepressants. So before going to all of that, I wanted to clarify perimenopause versus menopause. Perimenopause, peri meaning around, around menopause, can start as early as the age of 39. And that is when your hormones are fluctuating and you are potentially still having periods. They can be regular periods or irregular periods, but you can start to have symptoms of menopause at this point, as opposed to menopause, which typically is defined by the absence of a period for 12 consecutive months. And that the average age of that is about 51. And you can also start to have menopausal symptoms at this point, or you can have a continuance of symptoms from your perimenopausal experience. So that's the difference between perimenopause and menopause. So what do you are, what's happening, um, this diagram is showing, I don't know if you, hopefully you can see my little, arrow here. So yes. your estradiol is the most potent form of estrogen in your system. And this is kind of a diagram of the life cycle, the stages of womanhood. And you can see here in puberty where the fluctuations of estrogen is kind of, you know, up and down here. And then as you in the premenopausal stage, things are kind of steady. Your estradiol is steady. Your progesterone is kind of steady. And then you reach perimenopause, and that's where it goes crazy. Uh, you see the fluctuations happening again, more dramatic, more intense. And that's why a lot of women will complain like, why do I feel like I'm a teenager again? 
And this is why you can see it comparatively to puberty, even though it's more intense during perimenopause, but that is what's happening. These your fluctuations of your estradiol or your estrogen is happening. And that is what's causing these symptoms that are kind of, you know, listed on the side here. And in most pe most women or most people in general associate menopause with just hot flashes. But, you know, we're talking about mental health changes today, which like I say, a lot of people are really um, surprised about. So, so what kind of mental health changes, health changes can we experience? Mood irritability, I talked about short-tempered or short-fuse, angry outbursts. And again, like women are like totally back, you know, they like, why is this happening? Um, they can also feel like they are just up and down the emotional roller coaster. There can be times where they're feeling happy and fine. And then in a, you know, within an hour, or a few hours, they're, they're sad or, you know, they just, they feel down. So you can have these mood swings um, that are either new or you can have a history of mood swings that are that that's been worsening so you can experience that too or you can have crying for no reason which also is you know can be something that's you know distressing we can be you know watching television and you can all of a sudden you know see a commercial or something and you just start crying for no reason and you really feel like like you're like what is going on and it really is not in your control like because your hormones are just kind of all over the place um you you really can get distressed because these these emotions are coming on and you you can't really control it um so you really um can be distressed about it and even your your family your family is like you know look at you like what is what's wrong like mm -hmm. <laughs> like you feel crazy your your, your family or your significant others looking at you like you're crazy <laughs> so th these these changes can be um like i said very distressing and just you know you're not really expecting them so that's why it's important that you know what you could potentially expect and every woman is different you know changes in general with menopause. There's some women who get no symptoms whatsoever. Those are the lucky ones. And then there are some women who can have one or two of these symptoms. And there's others who can have a slew of them, like, you know, multiple symptoms. So everyone's journey is different, but it's good to kind of know what to expect. So again, with the mental health changes, you can have worsening um, mood swings or PMS, the ups and downs, crying for no reason, anger, and um, depression is another one. So you can have new feelings of anxiety or worsening anxiety if you have a history of anxiety. And that can be nervousness, panic, or worry. And then you can also have um, depression or a new diagnosis of depression. Um, so clinical depression, there's different, different categories of depression. So actual clinical depression was a clinical diagnosis that we actually you have to meet criteria for. And that essentially is five or more symptoms that are present during a two week period. And one of these symptoms have to include either depressed mood or a loss of interest or pleasure in all activities. And then the rest can again be fatigue or loss of energy nearly every day, too much sleep or lack of sleep every day, some type of agitation or just, you know, just agitated, which is really observed by either your family or just others in your circle. Feelings of worthlessness or inappropriate guilt nearly every day. Diminished ability to think or concentrate or just indecisiveness. 
or recurrent thoughts of death or thoughts of committing suicide with or without plan. And especially that last one, if you have any of those type of things, it's really important that you seek out um, medical attention with your you know, primary care doctor or your gynecologist. Uh, but these are the essentially the criteria that we go by to diagnose someone, someone with a clinical depression, as opposed to um, you know, depressed mood. So if you have diagno diagnosis of history, history of depression in the past, so before the menopausal transition, you can be at risk of having that depression either worsen or if you had it before and it kind of um, uh, improved and you've been fine, it can kind of come back and require that you may potentially go back on the medication for it. So if you have a history of depression, you know, clinically diagnosed or anxiety, that potential for that to come back is higher with the menopausal transition. If you have a history of premenstrual syndrome or PMS, that's when you have the mood swings, um, as well as you know physical symptoms like bloating and breast tenderness that happens anywhere from seven to 10 days before your period, you can be at risk of having um, depression during the menopausal transition. Or if you have a history of premenstrual dysphoric disorder, PMDD, that's essentially kind of a, 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 a grade up above PMS because it has the same symptoms of PMS, but you also have a diagnosis of anxiety and depression um, at the same time. Um, so, and then also if you have a history of postpartum depression, you can also be at risk of developing depression during the menopausal transition. So keep those in mind. So if you have any of those, if you have any of those in your history, you can kind of, you know, be aware that they potentially can put you at risk of having depression um, during the menopausal transition or during perimenopause. And like I mentioned before, there's different categories of depression that we, you know, kind of look at. So we have a, you can have a depressed mood, which is more kind of a brief period where you feel kind of down um, and, you, you know, you're able to kind of pick yourself back up and you're okay. Or you can have depression due to, you know, a reaction from something. So whether it's divorce or a death of a loved one or a diagnosis of a medical illness like cancer, like you can develop, you know, depression or depressive symptoms from those um, type of life events, life turning events. Um, clinical depression, I just mentioned the criteria that we essentially go by. We look at those to see if you actually meet the criteria for clinical depression. And then there's dysthymia, and that's essentially a chronic depressive disorder where you have depressive symptoms most days for at least two years. And this is kind of difficult to diagnose sometimes because it, it's a, it, it happens over a long period of time. Um, so you may or may not kind of notice it because it's kind of it kind of goes in a steady rate. But you know it's, it's more of a chronic condition as opposed to something more acute. So those are kind of the different modes of, um, of depression that we kind of look at to see which category you may fit in based on your symptoms and how often your symptoms are coming, whether it's you know, every other day, every day, um, every couple of weeks, just kind of you know, based off of that. So then besides mood, you can also be someone who can describe something like brain fog. Like you can't remember, you know, your, your, your you know, you forget your keys or um, you can't remember where you put your keys or you are having conversation and you forget the word you were going to say. And then you, you know, ultimately remember it, but you just feel kind of foggy 
or you're doing something either at work or at home and you feel like you're losing concentration. So a brain fog is actually um, also common um, related to the mental health, health changes with perimenopause and menopause because estrogen or estradiol also has some influence on our brain neurotransmitters that influence our concentration, our memory, our mood. So during that transition, if your hormone, your estrogen is, you know, fluctuating, you know, and then ultimately decreasing, that can affect those, those brain functions. So you can experience um, this brain fog, which again can also be um, a little scary um, when you're used to be this sharp person and everything, and then all of a sudden you're forgetting or you can't concentrate. And some women can be afraid of it, like my experience in dementia, like what is this? So, but there's different um, differences between brain fog and things like Alzheimer's, which is a most common form of dementia. So like I mentioned, brain fog is more of um, something that, you know, you forget something, but you it ultimately comes back to you. Alzheimer's, this is more of a progressive thing. Like you're forgetting like major events, major dates. Um, you're not remembering. Um, brain fog is more temporary. Alzheimer's, it, progresses, like it continues on. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't stop and get better. It, it progresses. Um, I, I mentioned, you know, losing words in the conversation. Alzheimer's, you can't even follow the, the conversation. Like you, you forget where the conversation was going or what you were talking about. Um, and the other big thing with Alzheimer's is that you actually um, lose interest in social engagement. Like you withdraw from social events or just social engagement. So that's the big thing with Alzheimer's because your personality is just, um, becoming so different with the dementia, um, it pulls you away socially. So that's the difference between, you know, brain fog. Brain fog, you can still function on your day-to-day -day basis. Alzheimer's or dementia, you're actually, it's affecting your daily function. So that's kind of something to kind of look at, you know, if you get concerned, if you, you have a little bit of brain fog, it is something that you still are able to function daily as opposed to Alzheimer's, um, you may not. And also try to um, reassure uh, my patients that, you know, with brain fog, it is, you know, very frustrating at times, but it typically is temporary. You know, it can last for, you know, a few months, maybe even a year, um, which you know, sounds like forever, um, but it typically does, you know, it does improve um, over time. It's not like, you know, again, it's not like dementia where it progresses um, and gets worse normally, especially if you do things that kind of help promote and improve um, your, your brain health. So what other things um, can you think of that affects our mental health? You know, as women, we are so busy taking care of everybody else, right? And we have so many things on our plate. There are so many other things besides our hormones that can affect our mental health. And a big thing is stress. You know, we wear so many hats as women. So stress is a big Thing. And there's so many different stressor, stressors that we can encounter. You know, as we're getting older, our body image may change because we gain some weight and we are, that affects our self-esteem, that, that puts stress on us, that affects our mood, um, our personal or family medical problems. And we're stressed about that. Um, divorce or losing your significant other. 
that's, you know, can be very stressful. It can cause you, I mentioned depression due to a reactionary event. So that can potentially kind of put you in that category. If you're caring for your young children, um, like myself, I have three kids, um, that can be stressful. Um, teenagers, mine are not quite, te mine are not teenagers <laughs> yet, but teenagers can be very um, uh, uh, frustrating and, you know, distressing. Or you have grown children who left the nest and they've come back and they brought people with them, <laughs> their husband or their children, that can be stressful. Or you're concerned about your aging parents and that you can get into the sandwich generation where you're actually taking care of your children and your parents. That can be a lot of stress, which can ultimately affect your mood. And then, you know, a lot of times women, especially in our midlife years, are making major career moves or, you know, career changes, and that can also be very stressful or our relationship in general with our partners, you know, whether, you know, you're going through problems in the marriage or, you know, either a divorce or separation, all those things are major stressors that can affect our mood and ultimately um, how we react and respond to the hormonal changes that leads us to the menopausal transition. I mentioned depression, our sexual appetites, uh, um, can change as we get older and, you know, a decreased libido, you know, our sexual health is very important and very influential on our emotional and mental, physical well-being. So if we have a decreased libido, that can be very distressing if we're used to, you know, being very, being a sexual person. And then that kind of goes to the wayside and that affects you and affects your relationship. So that can also be, you know, again, another stressor on your mental health. And then aging in general, you know, as we age, it's very normal for us to have some mild memory loss. And that's just with aging. And that's just, you know, something that happens. And sleep deprivation, that's a big one. Sleep deprivation definitely can affect um, our mood. Um, it can make us very irritable. Um, it can also affect our cognition or our brain function. If we're not getting enough sleep, you know, you you can't be surprised when you're not able to concentrate that the very next day because of that lack of sleep. And then vitamin deficiencies, um, uh, particularly vitamin B6 and B12 can, can essentially can have some influence on your um, mental health. So be aware of that too. So what can we do about it? So the first thing is look at your diet. I really try to promote the importance of eating the rainbow. Like you want to look down at your plate and you want to see a rainbow of colors because a very nutritional, um, nutrient dense diet can have a um, can play a big part in managing your mental and your brain health and particularly your gut, your gut health. So serotonin is one of the uh, transmitters that is our natural mood stabilizer. And over 80% of that is produced in our gut. So if our gut health is out of whack, like it's if it's not in balance because your diet is poor, then your, your production of your serotonin is also gonna be poor, which ultimately can affect your mood. So eating a healthy, nutritious diet makes a big difference. I usually try to recommend going towards a plant-based diet. You know, a lot of um, dark leafy green vegetables, you also want to get in your um, fruits that have very high um, antioxidants like um, blueberries and things like that. So you wanna really um, try to put things on your plate that is going to be very colorful and very nutri nutritious because that definitely fuels 
um, your, your brain cells. Exercise, you have to move. Studies have actually shown that consistent exercise can help um, improve your, your brain health, especially as you get older. So you really want to make a point to have consistent exercise and do something that you like to do. Now, I don't like, I don't like running on, the, I don't like running, period. <laughs> and I don't like running on the treadmill. And, and I found that when I was trying to do that, I didn't really want to exercise. So I got into spinning, which I love, which makes me more motivated to exercise. So you have to find something that you like to do. So that would actually kind of keep you accountable and also make you more consistent. And I also want you to look at exercise because a lot of times we, as women, we look at exercise, oh, I have to exercise to lose weight. Yeah, that's true. However, it's also good to maintain, not only maintaining your weight, but maintaining your, your heart health and also maintain, like I said, your brain health. Yeah, like I said, the studies have shown that consistent exercise can help with your brain health. So think of it that way as another motivator, like not just to lose weight, but actually maintain other body systems that are very important to your health as you're getting older. So you want to do your aerobics, you want to do your strength training and your know, light weights, and you want to get to the goal of 30 minutes a day for at least five days a week. Now, I know, you know, sometimes we are so busy but we have to carve it in our day some kind of way. And you know, if you can't do a full 30 minutes at one time, do 15 minute incre increments. Or if 30 minutes is too much initially, if you're just starting out, start at 15 minutes and then work your way up, do 20 minutes the next time and then 25 and then 30. So, you know, just kind of work with, within your schedule. Um, you know, whether you have to wake up in the morning, you know, a half an hour earlier versus if you have to, you know, take time in the evening time, take 15, 20 minutes away to kind of do some type of exercise, you know, put it in your schedule um, so it can be part of your routine. And sex counts. Like, like I mentioned sexual health before, sex, you know, you can you lose a couple calories. Um, it's also good for natural immunity and it relieves stress. I mentioned how, uh, how big stress plays a part in our mental, you know, in our mental health in general, you know, a good sexual health, a good sexual health um, can certainly be um, helpful um, in regards to improving that. Social engagement, please stay socially engaged. Now I know we're in the middle of a pandemic still, um, but we need to, you know, take advantage of, you know, technology, whether it's FaceTime on your phone or, you know, Zoom calls, you know, things like this to kind of keep yourself socially engaged with your friends and your family, because that makes a big difference. Um, that, you know, social engagement, um, just interacting with, you know, your family and friends, you know, again, helps just keep your keep your brain going. So you definitely want to be um, stay socially engaged in regards to that. And sleep. I mentioned the lack, the, the the detriment of the lack of sleep. It's really so important. A restorative sleep makes a big difference. It is important for our physical, brain, um, and, and mental health. Um, there are five stages of uh, five stages of sleep, from non-REM to REM, which is rapid eye movement, which is our dream state. And you have to get through the first four stages in order for it to be restorative sleep. 
because this is when the brain is repairing, um, it's growing new cells, it's allowing nerves to regenerate. So you really have to get through those four stages to actually get good restorative sleep. Because some of this repairing and regenerate, regeneration involves something called telomeres. And these are little pieces of um, DNA that um, lives at the cat lives at the ends of our um, of, of our chromosomes, and it actually acts like a plastic end on a shoelace. And as we age, these telomeres wear down and get shorter over our lifetime. And with that, when that happens, it decreases their ability to protect our cells, and then less new cells can replace the old cells. So if you get a good restorative sleep, these telomeres are able to act appropriately in order to maintain um, you know, the old cells as well as regenerate new cells. So I usually recommend um, seven to eight hours of sleep, um, which I know I'm still personally working on <laughs> myself. <laughs> but you know, and I, you know, as you know, menopause, just in general, perimenopause can have other symptoms, you know, hot flash and things like that, night sweats that can interfere with your sleep. So if you're having things like that or any other things that are interfering with your sleep, you want to talk to your physician or healthcare provider about what you can do about taking care of those things to um, be able to help improve your sleep. So just kind of, you know, keep that in mind too. Yoga and um, deep breathing is also very important. Just being able to sit still and giving yourself, um, you know, time to collect your thoughts and just kind of meditate is also very helpful in regards to your mental health. And, you know, natural remedies, you know, like I mentioned, you know, healthy diet, exercise, vitamin B6, vitamin D can also be helpful, um, supplemented with those. Ashwagandha is a herb that is essentially we call adaptogen that helps us adapt or basically um, react well to stress. So taking a supplement of ash, ashwagandha um, can be helpful. And it, you know, it's a wide range of how many milligrams, anywhere from 250 milligrams to five grams a day. But it really kind of, you know, I usually recommend starting start off with a low dose and kind of working your way up if you need to. And then St. John's wort is another herb that has been shown to be beneficial in helping with depression. And the recommendation for that is usually anywhere from 900 to 1800 milligrams a day. And again, with all these supplements, it's really important to talk to your physician about um, what you're thinking about using because some of these supplements can interfere with medications that you're on or with medical illnesses that you may have. So you want to really talk to your physician first before you start any, um, any supplement um, just to make sure that you are taking something that's not going to interfere with what you're already taking. The other supplement that you may um, have either heard of um, is S-adenosylmethionine or SAMI. That's actually um, is a, another harm, another transmitter that is produced naturally in our body. And actually vitamin B6 and vitamin B12 plays a role in that pathway. And that has been shown to aid in um, improving depression. And anywhere from 200 to 800 milligrams a day can potentially um, help with that. Um, so again, with all these supplements, these are something that you can potentially try that may help with a depressed mood or, you know, just feeling kind of um, moody or mood swings and things like that. Um, you can potentially talk to your physician about using some of those things. And then antidepressants, you know, I want to, you know, but definitely get across that 
that is okay to take if that's what you need. I think a lot of times, you know, obviously if you have a history of depression or even anxiety and you were on medications before, a lot of times I would say we may need to put you back on something if again, if the depression and anxiety is really affecting your daily function. But if you don't have a history of it and you develop this depression or anxiety, it is okay to be on an antidepressant if, if that's something that you need. I think a lot of times women are hesitant on going that route because number one, they don't want to have the stigma of, you know, being on an antidepressant. And number two, they feel like they will never get off of it, which may not, which may not be true. There, there are times where you can be on these medications and it can be only temporary. You can be on it for three months. You can be on it for six months and then wean yourself off and see how you do. Because in that, you know, while you take the medication, you can do other things naturally to kind of help boost and improve your mood at the same time. And then when you decide to get off of it, you'll be able to cope with these, you know, with these feelings. So it is, you know, if it's something that you need, I definitely recommend that you go that route, you know, as a temporary thing at least, and then kind of see how you do after the fact. And then also psychotherapy, you know, a talk therapy is really good to have a objective ear to listen to your feelings, your issues at this time too, if you need that. And that's also very beneficial. So either doing that first and then after that, see if you need medication versus doing the both at the same time, talk therapy and medications. It really kind of, you know, depends. And again, even with the antidepressants, these can also interfere with other things that you may be taking. You know, my patients with breast cancer who are on tamoxifen, so certain antidepressants can affect the um, the actual effects of tamoxifen. So it's very important to talk to your physician, you know, what the interactions may be with other medications that you are taking. And then what about hormones? You know, women, a lot of times they they wonder like, okay, what if I just go on hormone replacement therapy? Is that, is that going to fix me? Well, if you're perimenopausal, you know, with mood swings, there are times that I've placed women back on birth control pills to kind of help with that. Um, if you're menopausal, hormone replacement therapy, essentially, if you are having other symptoms like hot flashes, night sweats, things like that, hormone replacement therapy has been shown to be helpful with your mental state because it's taking care of the other symptoms like the hot flashes and the night sweats and things like that. But if you don't have any of those other menopausal symptoms and you just have this mental, um, whether depression or anxiety, the studies really haven't been supportive in regards to using HRT just for that reason. So usually it's only beneficial if you're also experiencing other menopausal symptoms at the same time that it may be helpful in that. And also be aware that if you are on HRT after the age of 65, it actually can put you at risk of developing things like dementia um, and, you know, in the long term. So, you know, that's a lot of times we don't recommend being on HRT for you know prolonged period of time. So be aware of that too. So just kind of you know recap sleep is so important exercise, meditation, yoga, just kind of relieve stress, mindfulness, talk therapy, getting your vitamins in, you know, either you know through supplements or through your diet, taking medications if you need to prescribe. And you know, I mentioned birth control pills potentially for that, you know, perimenopausal woman. And it's really all about, you know, keeping trying to maintain a balance. Like you want to maintain a balance of what you are putting in your body physically by eating. You know, food is the best medicine. And you want to be mindful of what you're putting in your mind. You know, you want to put things in your body and your mind that is that is serving you well. So a good healthy nutrition diet, 
um, you know, reading affirmations, things like that. You want to kind of do some type of balance so you can actually manage through these mental changes um, through this transition. And what are you, you know, self-care is really, you know, a big thing. And this really, all this really embodies self-care. This is really you putting yourself first in regards to, you know, doing the things you need to do to make yourself feel. And, you know, essentially overall, what are you putting in your cup every day? Are you filling your cup every day? Um, or are you running on an empty cup? So you want to really have a goal to fill your cup with, you know, peace, gratitude, relaxation, whatever, you know, that, you know, make, gives you joy. You want to fill that cup with those things because that's what's going to keep you um, managing, you know, what you're going through as you're going through this transition. So I want to end with this quote. We are not perfect human beings, nor do we have to pretend to be. But it is necessary for us to be the best version of ourselves we can be. So this is my mood in 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> I personally started perimenopause at the age of 39. I'm now in my mid-40s. And, you know, I am going through the same journey, ladies. I have been through, you know, the irritability, the silliness, the craziness, and the happy moments. These are my three kids. And I just want to let you know that I am, you know, walking right beside you through this journey um, through perimenopause and menopause. Thank you very much. So if you have any questions, I'll be happy to answer them. Excellent, excellent stuff, Dr. Ballard. Um, a couple of different questions. Uh, the first one, are the mental health changes permanent or will somebody return to what they consider their normal self? Great question. So typically, they are usually temp you know temporary. I mean, especially with the more cognition things in regards to brain fog, concentrating things like that. Those typically can come back. Will they come back to a complete you know normal normal? Now again, like I mentioned before, as we age, it's very normal for us to have you know changes in regards to our memory and concentration. That's the part of normal aging. So well, it may not go to your you know complete baseline, but it can certainly go back towards you know close to it and that also would move too you know again as you're kind of doing things that will help you improve these um mental changes you can potentially go back to close to your baseline over time i want to talk about family history so when i when i say family history speaking specifically to if you had a family member that had some mental some of this mental health changes that was just um, during the menopausal period, but it was a temporary thing. It wasn't a permanent thing. Is that something somebody should say, oh, well, if my mom or my grandma had that, that I'm gonna have that too? Yeah, the mental health, the, the, the mental, you know, new depression during menopause typically doesn't kind of pass down into family normally. Okay. Um, you know, is it possible? It's possible even with hot flashes, you know, some women, mom who had hot flashes, may not get hot flashes during menopause or they or, or they might. So um, it's not something that definitely is a, you know, a direct connection. I mean, it's definitely good to know just to, you know, for your own information that that may be a potential thing, but it's not a guarantee that you actually have the same thing happen to you. Okay. Last question, Dr. Ballard. Obviously we're in unprecedented times with COVID. How do right. you balance when you're diagnosing a, a patient 
with potential mental changes from COVID and or potential mental changes from menopause? What does that look like for you as a doctor? Ooh, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the, I mean, the pandemic in general, I mean, I talk about stressors. I mean, the pandemic is the, is the big stress of all, right, for, for everybody. Um, so if you have that and then you are going through menopause, that's really tough. And I, I think I would still have, you know, probably the similar approach to, you know, definitely, you know, looking at your diet, um, looking at your exercise. And, you know, you're also limited because, you know, some of the gyms are closed. So, you know, a lot of women are not able to get out. And we really have to, you know, pivot and readjust of what, you know, talk about things we can do at home. You know, whether it's going out, you know, for a walk, um, you know, doing exercises in your home. And then, you know, with the, you know, if it's more, more depression and anxiety, making you uh, have connections if you need to with um, therapists, whether it's through telemedicine, you know, things like that. So just kind of finding different avenues of, you know, you know based on what you need um, and providing you resources with access. Um, to those things, so, so you won't, you know, so it won't spiral into something worse. Um, but you may have to kind of, you know, work around different things just based on what your symptoms are. Very good. Well, Dr. Ballard, how can people find you? Well, you can find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, um, Dr. Joyelle. You can also visit my website, drjoyelle.com. You can also on my website, purchase my book, Loving Me, Myself, and Her, Through Perimenopause and Beyond. Just go to the website and purchase there. Very good. Well, uh, Dr. Ballard, wonderful stuff. It's good to have you back. Um, so this webinar um, today will be on YouTube. So you can find us on YouTube. Go into YouTube, type in Audible Aging. I encourage you to subscribe. We have lots of good stuff. Three live webinars weekly. Um, we mentioned over the podcast. So you can find us on Spotify, Apple Tunes, et cetera. So as, as Dr. Bowden and I were discussing early on, uh, one of our most popular downloads was Perimenopause, The Journey to Menopause with Dr. Ballard from back in June. So I encourage you to go there, find that um, an excellent listen. But of course, um, the book, um, highly encourage you, uh, highly encourage you to get that. So till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging. <laughs>